I want to welcome you to Providence Road. We are glad that you're here this morning, and if you're a guest with us, we're honored uh, that you would choose to, uh, to worship with us this morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and we are in uh, week four of our Advent series, which simply means arrival. And we've been going through the book of Isaiah, particularly chapter nine, the first part of that. Um, so let me read the passage that we've been in for the last uh, three weeks, and, and we'll, we'll be in, uh, at least start in today. Let me read that, um, then we'll get started. Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. That's God's word. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we come in now at uh, what is feeling like the end of the Christmas season, we have Christmas Day approaching in a couple of days, and I'm sure many of us are a little tired, a little frazzled. Um, some of us can't wait to get to uh, tomorrow night, maybe. Some of us can't wait for this season to be over. So I pray this morning that your word would meet us wherever we need to be met this morning. That we would open our minds and open our hearts to allow your word and your grace and your love and your comfort to, to change us. Whether that's our mind or our heart or the way we live, I pray that by submitting to your word this morning and to your voice, you would change us. And we ask you to do that. It's for our good and your glory. In your son's name we pray, amen. So like I said, we've been walking through the last three weeks. We've been in Isaiah 9 for our Advent series. The past two weeks in particular, we've looked at the four names or identities given to Jesus in verse 6. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And today we're going to move on to verse 7 and really look at this verse. Okay, so I'm going to read it again, just verse 7. And uh, pay attention to the, the, the government imagery and the, the kingdom imagery here. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So what this particular verse is describing, and really this whole passage, it's talking about the kingdom of God. And it's talking about this kingdom with Jesus as king. You see phrases in verse 7 like increase of his government over his kingdom. And the purpose of Jesus' coming, which started at his birth, is to redeem and renew all things. And that starts with broken 
and messy people like you and I. It's where this whole thing starts. We talked about a couple of weeks ago, but we have to think of Christmas and remember that this is the all-powerful, all-knowing, mighty God, the one who created everything, who was there before the creation of the world. That God became a baby, became a human, born like any other human being was to be born. And he will come back eventually to the same uh, world he came into to um, complete the fulfilling of redeeming and renewing all things in order to set up his kingdom. So the past few weeks, we've looked at who Jesus is. Today, we're going to focus more on what does it look like to live in Jesus's kingdom? What's that really look like when it says the kingdom of God or the kingdom of Jesus? What does it look like when Jesus is our king? The word kingdom is used 53 times alone in the book of Matthew, the first book in the New Testament. It's a major theme from Genesis to Revelation. Um, It should be a major idea in our faith. Sometimes we don't think about it, I think, enough. Um, Webster's Dictionary, I I found this helpful looking at this, the three kind of definitions of, of kingdom. Number one, a politically organized community or major territorial unit having a monarchical form of government headed by a king or a queen. It's kind of the standard one. More biblical, the re- number two, the realm in which God's will is fulfilled. Three, a realm or region in which something is dominant. Okay? Like we use the term animal kingdom. When we're talking about animals, the study of animals. We, some people say it's the animal kingdom because it's the, the dominant thing in that particular kingdom. So we're looking at the scripture when we're looking at our world from a Christian perspective, God is, Jesus is king. This is his kingdom. And he doesn't waste any time talking about the kingdom. He was born, he grew up. We don't hear a lot from Jesus in the scriptures until about the age of 30. And then in the book of Mark chapter one, um, this is one of the first things that's recorded Jesus saying as he's beginning his ministry. It says, verse 14, now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. He's proclaiming the gospel and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. Repent and believe the gospel. He's connecting there, the the, the idea of the gospel is connecting it really interwoven with the kingdom here. And we can't separate those two things. This idea of kingdom is important to Jesus. Um, it's important to the, script, the writers of Scripture, but for us, I think, and even if you look at the Christmas carols we sing, even the carols we're singing today, they all mention king or kingdom. The majority of the carols you'll hear that are kind of from the biblical worldview have this idea of king or kingdom in them. I didn't really notice that as much until this week. I started thinking about this and listening to the songs. This idea of Jesus as king is woven throughout a lot, if not all, Christmas carols. But I think in our country, United States, 21st century, we don't really understand or get this idea of king or kingdom. You may get a little bit if you watch movies or TV shows, but living in the United States, we're just not going to understand in this day and age the idea of king or kingdom. So let's look at the scriptures and see what it tells us specifically about the kingdom of Jesus. If you look at Genesis 1 and 2, we're going to take any scripture, we should start there. This is how God designed the world to be. Adam and Eve there, you have um, perfection, unhindered relationship with God. 
Um, no pain, no sin, no conflict, no worry, no anxiety. Things are good. Things feel normal. Things feel right. Like any good story, most stories start with <laughs> at least the main characters having all their needs met. Things are pretty normal. Things are kind of stasis. Like before you have the conflict, you kind of move into the beginning of the story. Things are, things are okay. Things are right. Things are good. And then you hit the, the conflict of the story. So it, it's so hard to imagine, I think, our world in the context of Genesis 1 and 2 because of everything that's going on around us. But for a moment, I want you to think about, it may be even a tiny sliver of your life. Think back to a time that you can point to and say, this must be what the kingdom of God is like. Or this must be what the Garden of Eden was like. This must be what Adam and Eve were feeling and living those first two chapters of the scripture. To think about it, if you can go back, and, and it's probably not a long period of time, but maybe those moments. There's two, as I started thinking about this in my life. One, it's about 45 minutes long-ish, and it was uh, our Nicole and I's wedding ceremony. Okay, like, there, like in a wedding ceremony, there's just like everything is blocked out and your senses are heightened. And I remember these moments and I don't remember thinking about anything else for those 45 minutes. Like no anxiety, no fear, no worry. Um, I ain't really thinking about other people other than Nicole. And it was a wonderful 45. Now leading up to that 45 minutes, a lot of stress like any other wedding brings. After that, you know, normal life kicks back in. Here comes kind of the world and our brokenness back in. The other time in my life, is when um, our, our son Jax was born. Um, he's adopted, but when we went to the hospital 12, after, 12 hours after he was born, got to meet him, those 48 to 72 hours after he was born were like, man, this, this is, must be what the kingdom of God tastes like. Got to hold him, sleep at the hospital with him. That tw those first 24 hours when we had him at home, I just can't thinking back, I don't remember thinking about anything like this is as good as it gets. Like this is amazing. Like this must be what the kingdom of God is like. And a cherry on top of that for me was my favorite baseball team, the Kansas City Royals also won the World Series for the first time in 30 years. The, the night I, we brought him home, him and I watched that together. They won the World Series. And uh, it was funny, Drew Bernard sends me this text right after the Royals won the World Series that night. And, he, and he's kind of, Drew, this text kind of gets at this idea of like, he says, and there was a group text, a bunch of people. He said, I think Jeremy's life just peaked. Like, <laughs> like bringing his son home from the hospital and his favorite team winning it, like his life just peaked. And I think he, he, he's getting at that idea though of like, like how, could it, how could it get any better in this moment? But obviously life kicks back in and now we're trying to figure out how to raise a baby, right? Like it, it kicks back in and think, there's anxiety, there's fears, there's those kinds of things. I think the problem for us with these moments that we all have is we didn't create them usually. They were given to us. They were brought on by circumstances and they don't last long. If any of those, those periods you have, they're probably fairly fleeting. If these moments, these tastes, these, these previews of the kingdom and then they're gone. Because even if things are good in our life, there's this corner usually of our hearts, of our minds, of our lives that there's still fear. Like if we went there, we would be fearful. 
There's anxiety. There's shame. There's brokenness. There's loved ones who are sick. There are kids who are struggling with some heavy things. We're selfish. We have uh, selfish motivations for the things we do. We covet, we want things that we shouldn't have. And so even though these moments are good, they're fleeting. And even if life is pretty good for us, most of the time, the majority of the time, it's not Eden. It's not Genesis 1 and 2. So what happened? And to use this king language, a rival king came onto the scene in Genesis 3. So you have Adam and Eve there, the story, don't, won't get into all the details, but Adam, Adam and Eve sin for the first time, sin comes into the world, everything's broken, everything's messed up. But I want to go back to <coughs> the, the serpent, because he was the instigator in this. And you'll notice if you use this king and power language, the serpent doesn't take God head on in this deal. The serpent knows if he takes on God and he tries to overthrow God, God will wipe him out. It's not even a, not even a chance. So the serpent works through Adam and Eve. Remember the temptation? Hey, you'll be like God. Hey, don't, you want, don't you want some of that? Don't you want to determine what's good and evil? Don't you want to determine for yourself what's right and wrong and kind of get to call the shots? So we were the first kingdom, the first king, the rival kings that came in to take over or try to take over God's kingdom. And the serpent is crafty and he uses that to cause us to, in a way, overthrow God's kingdom, at least in that moment on earth. So the first takeover of God's kingdom is us. It's things like, don't tell me what to do. I'm the captain of my own life. I'm the captain of this ship. Why should anybody tell me what I can and can't do? I'm going to do what feels good to me. No one can stop me from being me. I don't need authority in my life. Don't, I don't want other people telling me what to do. I don't want uh, churches telling me what to do or pastors or teachers or government officials. I for sure don't want God telling me what to do. I'm king. I've got this. And if we're all being honest in here, we've all probably thought and said those things. And if you're living in a kingdom, the things that you do externally are determined by what you're worshiping or who your king is internally. Think of traditions practices, habits, this economy of living in the kingdom, a lot of what we see outside is determined by what, we, what our deepest loves are, what our deepest desires are. So when we're living in a kingdom and we're living this out, which we all are in this culture, in this world, how we act, how we behave, what we love externally is really a reflection of what's going on inside of us. Here's an example of this. Let's just take OU football fans. This coming year, easy target. So, as an OU fan, me, me, myself, I'm one of these. So we, this time of year, we're usually pretty proud about our team. We'll go around wearing the interlocked O and U on our hats and on our shirts. Like to talk about our team. Like to brag about our team to certain other fan bases. Um, we like to make sure everyone knows how good we are. We, we spend a lot of time thinking and a lot of emotions getting, getting drawn into OU football. This is an OU football fan. And then... A week or so from now, we'll sit in front of a, of, a, of a box. Some of us maybe go live, but you know, most of us will be sitting in front of a TV watching um, and hanging on every action of 19 and 20-year-olds to fulfill our deepest longings and desires and loves in that moment. All of that is a kingdom of an OU fan. In that moment, that's OU football reigns. 
That's our kingdom. We rise and fall on how our team does. Things are good. If things are good with OU football, things are right in the kingdom. People are happy. People are getting what they want. Love. Feel it. Because you're, you're associated with something lovable. Peace. You have that. Hope. Put your hope in the team. These things that we tend to think about at Christmas are fulfilled when OU football is doing well. But the moment OU football doesn't do well, us OU fans can become some foolish fools, right? Like we, we say some weird things. We say some hurtful things to 19 and 20-year-olds. And we're like, okay, what's the deal here? Why are we, why are we saying these things? We just act foolishly. Why? Because our, our allegiance, our king, this kingdom is starting to shake. And we know our love's there. We know our hope is there. We know our trust is there. Our value is there. And we don't like it. Fire him. Fire him. Get rid of him. I mean, we just turn into different people. Why? Not because we hate those people or we want evil for those, but because something's been threatened. Something that I hold dear has been threatened. Don't threaten my kingdom. Don't threaten who I'm associated with. So this is an idea of how our allegiances the kingdoms that we see ourselves a part of, the kings we follow, affect us in all different sorts of ways. Now, what does the kingdom of God look like, practically? One of the best passages in all of Scripture on this is Jesus teaching about this in Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7. Oftentimes, this is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. This could be also renamed the Constitution of the Kingdom of God or the way to live in the Kingdom of God. This is a, a very clear and complete picture of what does it look like to have Jesus as, as our king, to live under his authority, to have our allegiance associated with him. Okay, this is very clear on some of these ways. And we're going to talk just briefly today. We're going to read through quickly um, the Beatitudes, which is uh, uh, Matthew 5, 3 through 11, commonly referred to as the Beatitudes, if you're unfamiliar with that word. But this is just a list of things basically saying, if you're this kind of person in the kingdom, you will receive this blessing. Receiving blessings from being associated and having King Jesus as our, as our king. These blessings. So here it is. Let's work, walk through these quickly. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So poor in spirit, blessing is theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Again, this, this being a part of the citizen of the kingdom, you get comforted, which we all want. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. You have an inheritance. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for, the, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Familial language there. Verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's the kingdom again. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. This kind of person is blessed if you're in this kingdom. He'll go on to say in the following verses in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and this is the place where holiness and righteousness reigns. When wrongs are done to you, instead of revenge and vengeance, you um, humble yourself and you forgive. There's repentance. It's where people are more concerned about their neighbor than they're concerned about themselves. They love their enemies as much as they love their friends. It's a place where the king knows everything you need and wants to meet those needs. He's committed, this king, 
to caring for you. See that at the end of chapter 6, Matthew 6. One thing we do every year here, during this time of year, we light these candles that represent different aspects of Jesus' coming and the kingdom. This year, the first week, we did hope, we did peace, then we did joy. Today, we're doing love. You could say these, if you summed up the kingdom of God into four words or ideas, I think these four give a pretty good summary of it. So if I'm, this sets up a, a nice question for us to reflect if, if those things that we're all looking for, love, joy, peace, and hope, are you finding those in Jesus and his kingdom? Or are you looking to other kings and kingdoms to fulfill you in those ways? If you're a follower of Jesus in here, then you should be finding those things in Jesus. Or are you looking to someone else to satisfy you in those areas? See, in Mark 1, the passage chapter, verses we read, 14 and 15, when he says repent and believe, he is inviting us into this kingdom. He's inviting us to follow him, inviting us into the way of the king. He's saying, really, repentance is if you're headed this way, and you're going this way, and your eyes are focused on this king and this kingdom, and your allegiance is to these things, and you get your love and your hope and your joy from these things, repentance is just taking all of that and turning it towards Jesus. Saying, repent and believe in me. Find your hope and satisfaction from me. Set your eyes on me instead of your eyes on those things. It's a 180. We say no to these things, and we give our full allegiance to Jesus as our king. That is repenting and believing. If that repentance idea was weird or strange to you, it's saying those four areas, I want to find those in Jesus and not in other things. Going one way and turning around and going the other and living in this king. If we're all honest in here, we all still, even if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably jump from kingdom to kingdom. Maybe that OU football illustration hit a little too close to home. I know it does for me, especially six days from now it will, I'm sure. Um, We all are prone to wander into these other kingdoms and to look for these other things under other kings. And Jesus calls us to repent and believe in the gospel, the good news, which is where all of this stuff is wrapped up and all the blessings, all the benefits of being a citizen of the kingdom are wrapped up in the gospel and the good news and putting your faith and trust in who Jesus is and what he has done. Now, if we look at the Christmas story, there are two I think this is helpful for us to really think through. There are two responses, different responses, really, through the birth narrative. Um, You have, on one hand, you have how Herod responded. In the passage that Emily read earlier, Matthew 2 there, Herod, king of of, uh, this area of the Roman Empire, he has authority. The Romans have have given him authority over this area, a Jewish population. Herod's a Jewish guy himself, so he knows enough about the prophecies more than likely, knows about the prophesied Messiah coming, and he gets word that that king has been born. So not only is this a king, if, you have, if you're a king and another king is around and, and, and in your area, you start to get a little nervous. You're going to get threatened, especially if, there's, if he hears the word that this is the king. This is the king of the people that are, na- that are currently under his authority and reign. So he hears about this. He ha- brings some wise men in, the scripture calls them. Wise men from the east, probably not Jewish folk, because he says, clearly, they're from the east, so they're outside of this land. But they're, 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 they're smart. They're probably wise in astronomy. They're, they have wisdom. 
Um, they're good at spotting things and seeing things. Hey, guys, come in. I want you. <coughs> this sounds awesome. This sounds great. Kind of fooling them, using them. I want you to go down. And I want you to check this out and come back and report to me and tell me. Tell me what is happening. Tell me more about this king. Tell me what is, what is going on here with this, with this king. And so they take off and do that. And the, the wise men get down and see Jesus. Um, and, and, and we see later on in that chapter that once Herod finds out that this is actually um, King Jesus, he goes crazy. He goes mad. He, look, he finds every single um, boy two years and un- under and ends their life. Because that's, that's the range that he thought, well, Jesus will be in this range. If I just take out every male under the age of two, then I'll for sure get Jesus if I do that. Think the horror of that. The lengths that Herod would go to. He didn't, Herod didn't hate these babies. He didn't hate these toddlers. He loved his kingdom. And anything that was going to threaten his kingdom, he was going to take out. Okay, so the, 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 the root of his sin wasn't that he didn't like male children. It was that he loved his kingdom so much that he was going to make sure that heir to the throne, that the life was ended. They were done. We all have a little Herod in us, I think, right? Like when our, king, when our stuff, when, we're, when our kingdom gets um, threatened, we have these corners of our life where we can react in anger. We can protect. We can defend. We can lash out. We can say hurtful words. We can say stuff on social media that sounds really silly on social media because we're trying to defend something we hold so dear. We all are like Herod in some way. Some of us are a lot like Herod, maybe. The other response is you can look at Mary, you can look at Joseph. I don't want to focus on these wise men because they're wrapped up with Herod in this story. They are sent out by the most powerful person in this region. Their allegiance is to him. They've been given a directive and a command to go see Jesus. They go see Jesus. They bring him gifts. They bow down. They worship him, it says. So they are giving their allegiance to Jesus here. And they're taking the allegiance that they had for Herod, and they're giving it to Jesus, this baby. There's faith. There's trust that there's something about this baby. There's something about what I'm hearing that this baby, this baby who grew up to be a king, is worth following. And they hear in a dream, the scripture says, not to go back to Herod. That dream is most certainly from God. Scripture doesn't say it, but we can understand that's from God. God trying to protect Jesus by sending these wise men back different directions, not going back to Herod to give him the chance to take Jesus out. And they listen. They're from the east. They don't have any, necessarily any background. They're not Jewish people. But they hear the dream. They see the dream, hear the dream, and they, and they believe. And they're like, yeah, okay, I won't go back to Herod. And that would have put their life at risk. Like if Herod ever found them and they directly disobeyed Herod in that moment, their life probably would have been ended too. Disrespecting the king like that. So who are you? Is your allegiance with Jesus like the wise men? Or are you more like Herod? You're protecting your king. You want people to be impressed with you. Impressed with your accomplishments. You want to be in control you want to be the hero. You want it to be needed like a king. Is that you or you have faith and trust like the wise men did? If you're a follower of Jesus here, you put your faith and trust in him, you're in the kingdom. So are you living like a citizen of the kingdom? Is your allegiance with Jesus? 
is your faith and trust with Jesus. If you're a child of his in this room, we're part of, you're part of the kingdom. Let's, let's live like it. Let's live like we're under a king, a benevolent king, a loving king, a gracious king. Uh, to kind of close, I want to walk through briefly these four ideas. And I want to try to help us live out, even as we leave today, the kingdom of God here on earth. So walk these four ideas, these four themes that we've talked about. Let's take hope first. <clears throat> we can hope in God because Jesus has proven himself. Right? Living a perfect life, dying a death we deserve. And more than anything, coming back from the dead and remaining alive after that and never dying. The tomb is still empty. They still haven't found a body. They, they, they can't. So he's proven himself to be God. He's proven himself to be who he said he was, mainly through the resurrection. So everything he said leading up to the resurrection, we can trust and we know it's true. He'll make do on his promises like no other king on this earth can not even a great football team like Oklahoma. Hopefully not Alabama either. Like Jesus can fulfill his promises. And because of that, we can leave here as agents of hope. Every person we can con come in contact with, we can give them a little hope. That may just be a smile. Maybe it's something as small as a, a quick word of encouragement as you're passing them by. Maybe it's someone you can encounter on a deeper level and you choose to meet their need. And they're in need in this time of year or any time of year. We can be agents of hope because we hope in the one true king. And he has saved us. Let's take peace. We have peace with God because we've been reconciled through the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We've been reconciled to God the Father. So now we can be agents of reconciliation, agents of peace. This means, most simply, that if you're in conflict with someone, even if it's not your fault, even if it's completely their, their fault, you can take the initiative and go to them and ask for, tell them you're sorry, ask for forgiveness. Engage that relationship. Why? Because we follow and serve a king who had done nothing wrong, was perfect. We, we were at fault. We did everything wrong. And he took the initiative coming to earth, being born as a baby, living a perfect life, dying for us, and being brought back from the dead. On our account, sinful, rebellious human beings. So, Yes, we can be agents of peace even if the other party is at fault because that's the king we serve. We're in his kingdom now. There's a new way to take joy. We, we can experience ultimate joy in him. We don't have to, to, to look in other places for pleasures that are fleeting. We can drink from the ultimate fountain of joy and then we can tell others about the fountain of joy. We're all looking for that, right? Like humans are just joy hunters. We're just pleasure seekers. It's where are we going to find the joy and pleasure? That's, that's the question. So we need to be telling people, this is where you find the joy. This is where you find the pleasure. Not in that, in Jesus. And lastly, love. This one should be easy. We've been shown the ultimate act of love. Unconditional. We were rebellious, sinful, wanting nothing to do with God. He sent his only son to die on our behalf. People who, even after believing in him, still can't, I know me, can't get my life together enough to truly worship him day in and day out. But yet, he's faithful. He loves me on my, the same on my best days as he does on my worst days because of my faith in him. This is a love with no strings attached. This is a love with perfect motivations. 
This is a gift that has been given to us, not to be earned, just received. That's it. And now we can love people expecting nothing in return. We can love people when, even when they're not lovable in that moment, we can love. People who aren't like us, people who don't look like us or live like us, we can love them. Why? Because we didn't look much like Jesus. And I know I don't on a daily basis, but yet he still loves me. Why? Because we're part of the kingdom. We're in the kingdom now. We follow a king who is all these things perfectly. We want to be like the king because he's awesome and he's worthy of worship and honor. Now, this seems really hard, right? Like when you think this, this, this is like an upside down kingdom. Like this is totally radically different than what the world tells us. And it is hard to be a member of the kingdom. If you just look at it from the bar that's been said, it's a challenge for us. Here's where the gospel comes back in. The gospel is not just Jesus dying for our sins. It's also the fact that he, was, he rose from the dead. And when he went back to the Father, he sent the spirit back to us to live inside of us, to empower us, to help us, Give us the power to be able to do all the things he's asking us to do in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. With hope, joy, peace, and love, the Spirit empowers us to do all those things. So now as followers of Jesus, I think it's just awareness that we're in the kingdom and praying that the Spirit would work in us to be the kind of people that extend God's kingdom. This is how it gets done. This is how God's kingdom is extended throughout the earth. It's broken, messy Followers of Jesus, like a lot of you in this room, with the Spirit working through them, do things that honor our King and give glory to our King. This is how God's kingdom is extended. By God filling us with His Spirit, not because we're awesome, but because He's awesome. And His Spirit, his, 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 his spirit is powerful. The pressure isn't on us to do this. We have to pray and be aware and beg God to use us as citizens of, of his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I ask that the thinking about Jesus so much over this last month or so and pondering and all the things that hopefully have reminded us of, of your son, I pray that would feel the love and the hope and the peace, joy and all these things. I pray that we would, we would trust and know those things are a reality for us. If we're in Christ, if we have faith, if we believe, then those, we have access to those things. We have access to everything in your kingdom. Because you're a benevolent king. And it doesn't just stop with us. It, it, once we leave here in, in our everyday lives, in the mundane Parts of life, on January 2nd or 3rd in Norman, Oklahoma, your kingdom is still here. And you want to move your kingdom forward through us, through your church. So I pray we would also be mindful of that on Christmas as well. And not that it wouldn't just stay with baby Jesus and how awesome Jesus is. But that we are to be people who are obedient and extend your kingdom. Be citizens of the kingdom in all the areas of our life. So I pray you would give us the motivation and the power to do that. It's in your son's name we pray.